Good morning. Hey, thanks so much for joining us for our first week of the series, Fixer Upper. Uh, who here has seen the show Fixer Upper? Just any, like you've seen an episode, nice, awesome. Uh, yeah, Fixer Upper is a great show with Chip and Joanna Gaines. They're down in Waco, Texas. And uh, pretty much what happens is they'll take a couple out to find a house and they'll pick some place that looks like a shoebox uh, for like $27 and they... <laughs> We'll take this place and they'll completely fix it up. They'll put like $100,000 into it and make these homes that look amazing. Uh, I actually read a book from Chip Gaines called Capital Gaines. And he said this, because they they have this uh, business called Magnolia Homes. And he said this, to us, restoration can be about a home, a marriage, a family, or anything looking for a new story. For the better part of 15 years, Magnolia Homes has been remodeling houses under the tagline, making Waco beautiful, one home at a time. Even back when we started, we knew that one home being restored makes a real difference. You know, before Fixer Upper started, the majority of the time when you would bring up the word Waco, what people thought was, you know, disaster and destruction. A lot of people would think of uh, the Branch Davidians and something back in the 90s where there were all these people killed and there was this cult and they it, just people thought of Waco in a different light. But what Chip and Joanna Gaines, their, their goal was to make Waco beautiful one home at a time. And the thing is, I believe that, that God has restoration for the Northern Virginia area. I believe that he wants to restore one home at a time. But he doesn't want to start with houses. He wants to start with our hearts. The word restoration, what it means is the action of returning something to a former owner, place, or condition. You see, the Bible is all about how God restored mankind, how mankind, how we messed it up, And we went our own way and how through Jesus, God wants to bring us back to the original intent, the original position and condition that he planned for us. Deuteronomy 30 verse 3 says, God, your God, will restore everything you lost. He'll have compassion on you. He'll come back and pick up the pieces from all the places where you were scattered. You see, God is in the business of restoration. And I want to ask you, are you at a point in your life where you need things restored? You need things brought back to life. If we're honest, every single one of us in our hearts and in our relationships and in our lives, we all have things that we need to be brought back to its original intent, its original position and condition. I believe that God wants to do something amazing in your life. He wants to bring something back to life that seems like it's dead. He wants to restore something in your life, no matter what condition it's in. God can take whatever you have, and if you simply just give it to him, he can restore it. He can bring it back to life. Over the course of this series, we're going to take a look at that, how God wants to restore your life. But what we believe here at the church is that life change happens in the context of relationships. We believe that it is the power of God that does the changing, but the way he does it is through your relationships. The relationships you decide to have and how you decide to treat your family, treat the people around you. We believe that that there are many relationships that build up that God wants to restore. Can we go ahead and get that graphic up there? Um, of of Basically, uh, these are the five different areas that we want to focus on. The very first one is Jesus. That's what we're going to be talking about today. That is the foundation. 
That shows the priority of faith, that Jesus, God, is our number one. He's our foundation. And the next week, we're going to talk about marriage. The week after that, we're going to talk about kids. So the two of those uh, make up the family. And then we're going to talk about friendships. And then after that, it's going to be work, which is our influence. And what you'll see is that we prioritize these to where we see that this first week is the absolute most important. And each of these build on each other. They can't be put in in reverse order. You can't put your kids before your marriage. can't put your friends before your your kids, all that kind of stuff. And so, so Jesus is the very foundation that we're going to start with today. Restoration starts at the foundation. Starts at the foundation. What we see is that foundation is extremely important. It's actually the most important when it comes to building a home. Uh, I'm not much of a fixer-upper. I I'm, I'm, don't know a whole lot about construction. Uh, I have probably the softest hands you would ever find in a man. Uh, no lie, I will shake so many people's hands like, you, you use most moisturizer. I'm like, no, this is just, this is all me. This is all me. But yeah, so uh, I went on to a construction website to find this. Um, it says, foundation is of utmost importance. It may seem like a simple part of the overall construction process, but getting the foundation right is incredibly important. The biggest reason for this is that any mistakes you make in the foundation will only get worse as you go up. It's known as compounding defects, and it means that mistakes grow. See, if you don't have the foundation right, if you're not building on the right things, the mistakes will just continue to grow. The, um, there's this video of this guy that pulled up to a red light, and, um, and it's really random, but this is what he saw. Go ahead and play the video. That's like one of those 50-50 videos where like half the people are like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen, and the other half are like, this is really funny. But <clears throat> the reason I think that video is hilarious is because I can relate to that guy because he's a terrible singer, and he doesn't care though like what people think of him. And he starts singing, and the higher and higher you get, the more you realize how bad of a singer he is. And what this is saying is that when it comes to our foundation, the higher that you build on whatever you decide to build on, the more time you spend building on it, the higher you build on it, the more it is going to be so obvious that your foundation is off. And the more and more exhausting it'll be, frustrating it'll be, difficult it will be, You'll see things starting to, to fall apart in your life the more that you decide to build on the wrong foundation. You know, I was actually at um, Jeff Clark's house this last week and we played this game called um, uh, Categories. Has anybody ever played that before? So what you do is you roll the dice and you're supposed to get this letter that you're supposed to write all of the words have to start with this letter. So if it starts with a B, you'll have like a boy's name, a president, all these different things that you have to write that start with this letter. And so one round, it was L, and we went through that, and we all scored up our points. The next round was an N. So we all did N, and then you're supposed to go and say what you wrote for each of these. So the very first one was an article of clothing. So we all said, the majority of us had necktie. And, uh, and then the next one was a dessert. And Jeff said, uh, I had uh, lemon meringue pie. We looked and we're like, and I was like, what? He's like, Lemon meringue pie. And he like said it slowly, like I didn't understand what lemon meringue pie was. We're like, no, it doesn't start with an N. And he's like, 
Oh my gosh, you got to be kidding me. The other 11 of his were all L's. Like he had done the entire game on the wrong letter. It was hilarious. So that whole round he was done for. And you see, what we do so many times is we build our houses, our foundation, our lives on the wrong things. And we keep going and going and going, thinking it's going to correct itself, fix itself. But the more that you build on it, the worse it's going to become. So I want to ask you, what is the foundation that you are building your life on? Because the more that you build on it, if it's the wrong foundation, the more unstable it will become. In Luke 6, verse 46 through 49, it says, So why do you keep calling me Lord, Lord, when you don't do what I say? I will show you what it's like when someone comes to me, listens to my teaching, and then follows it. It's like a person building a house who digs deep and lays the foundation on solid rock. When the floodwaters rise and break against the house, it stands firm because it is well built. But anyone who hears and doesn't obey is like a person who builds a house right on the ground without a foundation. When the floods sweep down against the house, it will collapse into a heap of ruins. The Bible is saying foundation is of utmost importance. And the thing is, the majority of homes, you don't even see the foundation. So when it comes to your life, if, if you want the right foundation, you're going to have to start doing the everyday decisions that nobody sees. You're going to start putting the right things in your mind, having the right things in your heart, setting the right priorities in your life, deciding each and every day, I'm going to choose life instead of destruction. It's going to take time. It's going to be difficult, but it is of utmost importance. If you want stability in your life, you've got to have the right foundation. And how central Jesus is in your life will determine how strong your foundation is. It will determine how, how Christ-like your character is. And, um, you know, with Jesus being the foundation, we have to have Jesus. We have to give him the rightful place in our homes. A lot of times we invite Jesus into our homes, but he is not given the rightful place. And, and right now I want to stop real quick and I want to say, all of us, I want us to have a spirit of humility when it comes to this message. Because the easy thing would be to say, you know what, I'm already saved. I believe in Jesus. He's my savior. So I'm just going to go ahead and tune out and then everybody else who doesn't know Jesus, this is for them. No, this is for all of us. We all have days where we do not give Jesus the rightful place. We all have days where he is not the center and the foundation. And so I want you to have that sort of mindset, that sort of heart to say, God, what do you have for me today? In what ways have I not given you your rightful place? So with that, we're going to jump into this. Um, we're going to talk about five ways that you can have uh, the placement that you can give Jesus in your home. The first four are ways that we get it wrong. And then the fifth one, I believe, is what we're supposed to do. The very first way, that uh, placement that we give Jesus is that of the cross stitch. That of the cross stitch means Jesus is a memento. He's a memento. You know, this is what happens sometimes is, is we, we take Jesus and we decide, you know what, I believe in Jesus. I believe in who he was. He, Jesus is my, is my savior. But the only place we have for him is a cross stitch. Go ahead and, and bring up the picture of the cross stitch. This is what it usually looks like. Blue-eyed, brown-haired, white Jesus. And, uh, and that's the cross stitch. And, and, and the um, interesting thing about the majority of these cross stitches is Jesus was born in the Middle East. 
what are the chances that Jesus would be Caucasian with blue eyes? Probably pretty slim. We don't think about that much. But what I think is that when it comes to cross-stitch Jesus, we model Jesus and we mold Jesus to be a, a, a reflection of us. Instead of looking at our lives where we are and saying, Jesus, I want to be a reflection of you. And so when it comes to cross-stitch Jesus, it's saying, you know what, Jesus? I, I want you to, to make me feel nice and good about myself. I want to have maybe a good luck charm. But I don't really want to give the sacrifice it takes to truly follow you. I want to mold you into the picture that I want. And so... Um, Luke 9.23, you know, there were many people that followed Jesus, but not everyone was willing to sacrifice. It says in Luke 9.23, Then he, Jesus, said to the crowd, If any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. Now this word cross, we don't really uh, think much of it nowadays, but back then it was the most gruesome form of execution. It's like saying, take up your electric chair, take up your gas chamber. It's this verbiage that, that you think, oh, yikes, wow. What Jesus is saying is that to follow me takes sacrifice. It's hard, it's difficult, it's worth it, and it is full of life, but it's hard. Uh, Kyle Eidelman, he's, he's a pastor um, in Louisville, he said this, in the Gospels, Jesus never seemed too interested in fans. Is that how you define your relationship with him? An enthusiastic admirer. Close enough to Jesus to get the benefits, but not so close to require sacrifice. There's got to be more than just going to church, praying when in a jam, and volunteering at a shelter. You see, Jesus is saying, I have great plans for you. I want to do something amazing in your life. I want you to make a difference unlike any other. What he's saying is, I'm going to need some sacrifice. He's saying, I gave you my all, my everything, so that you can give me your everything. He wants to be the foundation of your life. And what he's saying is that no longer do I want you to turn me into just a model or picture of yourself, but I want you to form your life to my character. Jesus is saying, I want you to be like me. I want you to have my character, my heart, my eyes for lost people. And if you have a, I read something the other day that said, if you have a God that constantly agrees with you, you're probably worshiping yourself more than the true God. And so I, I, just, I just want us to, to think of that because a lot of times in my own life, my pride, that's the kind of God that I worship is one that is just mainly, I just want him to make me feel nice, but I don't really want to give up the things in my life that have a hold of my heart. And so that's the very first one is, is the cross-stitch Jesus. The second is the timeout chair. The timeout chair. This is another way that we have Jesus in our homes, but a lot of times we have it wrong. It's where Jesus is simply behavior modification. Jesus, instead of, instead of like we talked about in the series Unlearning Religion, uh, where it's like, hey, Jesus has the best for you. It's not necessarily a test for you. Basically, it's, it's just like, this is all about the rules. This is all about what we do. And, and, and with the timeout chair, it's, it's with guilt and shame. Matthew 23, 4 says, Instead of giving you God's law as food and drink by which you can banquet on God, they, the Pharisees, package it in bundles of rules, loading you down like pack animals. You see, 
Jesus says that he came to give life and life to the fullest, and it takes sacrifice, but at the same time, it is not just all about rules where you try to get God to love you, or you feel bad enough about yourself, and you have so much guilt and shame that you're like, okay, maybe if I feel guilty enough or bad about, about myself enough, then Jesus will love me. We try to make ourselves feel so terrible. It's kind of like in the NCAA with different teams like uh, Louisville. They just got in trouble uh, for some different things I will not mention. And they basically had a self-imposed discipline saying, hey, this is what teams do. They get in trouble. They realize, man, the, the mess has hit the fan. We are, gonna go, we are going to get in a ton of trouble. So what we're going to do is a self-imposed uh, punishment where we say, you know what, we're going to give up these scholarships, we're not going to be eligible for playoffs, and basically try to do enough to where the NCAA would look at them and see, oh, you've punished yourself enough, we're not going to punish you. You see, that's what we do when it comes to Jesus, is we think, if I feel bad enough about myself, if I punish myself enough, if I feel terrible enough about myself, if I put myself in the corner, if I put myself in the timeout chair, and my relationship with Jesus is just constantly me feeling bad, then maybe he won't punish me as much as I truly deserve. And that's where we get Jesus wrong sometimes. We, we feel so terrible about ourselves. And, and, and this is kind of where it comes to light, is if you have kids and your conversations with your kids, you talk about what you're supposed to do, and you say, hey, you're not supposed to have sex before marriage, and they ask why, and you say, because we're Christians. That's why. Or it's just what we do. And the thing is, when, when you do not view Jesus as just this behavior modification, but as the source of life, as your everything, as your foundation, you're able to explain, man, because God has the best in mind for you. He loves you, and I love you, and we don't because of this. And you're willing to have those conversations. It's the same thing with, with every sort of sin in life. It's where we can say, you know what, I'm... Uh, it, I'm, I'm not going to just make this a test about a whole bunch of rules, but I can actually say, you know what, God, I know you had the best for me. I'm going to do everything I can to follow you, but it's not out of guilt in my heart. It's out of love that I have for you because I know you had the best in mind for me. You know, this timeout chair, Jesus gets us to punish ourselves, but also it makes us to where we want to punish others. You know, if you had siblings, you knew this. If you got in trouble, you better, man... I had, I had a sister growing up, and, and if I got in trouble for something, I, man, I was going to rat on her. Man, watch, but Brittany did it too. Gosh, man. And, and I always wanted her, and then if she got in trouble, I would get in trouble a lot because I'd be smiling or I'd laugh or something. And it was like this joy that came about me if, if my sibling got in trouble. And, and the thing is, when it comes to if you have Jesus in your home simply as a timeout chair, you get a joy and a pride in your life when other people fall or they stumble. And that's what happens a lot of times. You know, do you ever, are you ever driving? And sometimes I do this. I, I'm at an intersection, or I'm like right out here by the church, and I'll see this car coming, and I realize, okay, I've got a, plenty of time to be able to come out and, and uh, get onto the road. And there are times where I pull out and somebody will speed up as I'm pulling out. Like their thought process is like they want to hit me and I don't understand it. Like they literally speed up and just and like I'm like this person wants to kill me. Like they legitimately want me to die. Uh, you know this is what happens a lot of times in the church is that instead of a, a hospital for hurting people it becomes a shark tank 
And if somebody, if somebody messes up, then we feast on it. Oh, I'm not that bad. I didn't do that. I'm not in that bad of shape. And it turns into judgment and gossip. You know, we are a family here. We lift each other up. We build each other up to a place to where they, they, they grow closer to Christ and, and, and they know, man, I've messed up or I'm having a hard time, but I know I have family around me who, who man, they understand they're going to build me up. But it happens a lot of times as churches become the worst place for gossip instead because we have this timeout chair view of Jesus. And, 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 and what happens is, is we just gossip. And I want to tell you, man, if, if you see somebody who's living a life that is just, they're making destructive choices, I want to encourage you, do not gossip. Do not go to other people about it. What you're supposed to do is if you truly care about that person, you go to them. And you tell them, man, out of a heart of love, speaking the truth in love, I care about you. And what you're doing is, is not building a foundation on Jesus. It's, it's going to hurt you. It's going to hurt your family. But you do it in a way that just basically melts them to where all their defenses are gone, to where they are more able to say, you know what, you're right. But imagine this. Imagine if you heard, basically, you're making a decision that was wrong or you're living in a lifestyle that's wrong, and somebody comes to you with that sort of attitude or mentality. Compare that to if, if all of a sudden... Somebody comes to you and says, man, uh, so-and-so came to me and told me that you're doing this. I would be super defensive. And I would just be more mad at that person. But if they come to me in love, telling me, man, I'm, I'm really concerned about you. I love you. That makes it to where it's possible for me to make the change. And so that's the second way we get Jesus wrong. We put him in our homes as the timeout chair, as this guilt system, as this behavior modification. Make you feel terrible, make other people feel terrible. The third one is kind of on the other side of the coin. It's credit card Jesus. It's where Jesus is your ATM. And we treat Jesus like a credit card. What we do is we cheapen a relationship with him to be either one, he's just supposed to give me stuff, supposed to give me money and the life I want. He's supposed to give me my happiness, give me what I deserve. Or we, we do it to say, you know what, this is credit card Jesus and I can act however I want. He's given me grace. He's given me forgiveness. I can do whatever I want. It's not a big deal if I sin. Acts 8, 18 through 20 is the story where it says, when Simon saw the spirit was given, when the apostles laid their, laid their hands on people, he offered them money to buy this power. Let me have this power too, he exclaimed, so that when I lay my hands on people, they will receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter replied, may your money be destroyed with you for thinking God's gift can be bought. You can have no part in this for your heart is not right with God. A lot of times we're like Simon, where we're just like, God, I just, uh, gimme, gimme, gimme. I just want to have some cool toys. I, Jesus is, is like our, our um, you know, next piece of technology. Yeah, this is cool. You know, I, I Jesus, give me, give me all this stuff. And, you, and we turn them into a credit card. You know, or, or we act however we want. And, and this is something called cheap grace. It's where we take the grace of God and we cheapen it. to, to um, We don't treat it like it's much. And the thing is that, that God forgives us and his grace is never ending. But sometimes what we do is we, we continue these lifestyles and these attitudes that are absolutely toxic. That... that do not give you freedom, that put you into slavery, 
And you continue in these lifestyles because you say, okay, Jesus forgives me. But what Jesus is saying is that, man, I gave you everything. I, I, I gave my life for you so that you do not have to live in those lifestyles. So you don't have to live in that life. You know, we treat Jesus so cheaply sometimes. And because he forgives, it's just a swipe of the credit card. And, and today I want you to hear two things. One, forgiveness and lack of consequences are two different things. Jesus will always forgive, but he is just. And so if you are making decisions that are completely destructive, those consequences still happen. And you may not see them today or tomorrow, but they will come to life. And the second thing is just because Jesus' grace is free does not mean that his grace is cheap. There's this story of this, um, this lady up in Massachusetts. Her, um, her son had gotten her a, a pit bull. And the pit bull's name was Lily. And uh, unfortunately, this lady, she, she struggles with alcoholism. And that was the reason that the, the, the son had gotten her this dog. Well, basically, the, she was at her boyfriend's house. She was coming back. Um, and, and it says it was around midnight last Wednesday. This was a few years back. And it says, and the 56-year-old Shirley woman lay there unconscious after apparently having too much to drink. In the distance came the rumbling, a freight train. That's when Lily... Uh, the pit bull prevented a tragedy. The dog pulled uh, her away from the tracks moments before the train went by. Lily was unable to clear herself from the track and was struck, suffering severe injuries. There's a, there's a, that's her on the left before and that's her on the right. You can see they had to remove her, her leg. and because All the muscle and skin were torn from Lily's right paw. Her right front leg was amputated and her pelvis was fractured in multiple places. You see, Lily was willing to sacrifice to say, you know what, I'm going to get my owner off of the tracks. Obviously, it was the owner's, uh, basically the owner was on the track and, and, and it wasn't the dog's fault, but decided, you know what, I'm going to get her off the tracks and, and sacrifice herself. And, and what if the owner, the next day, said, man, that's awesome that Lily saved me. I'm going to do the same exact thing. I'm going to collapse back on the tracks just treat it like it's nothing. Lily will save me. My dog will save me. No, I, I highly doubt that that happened because when there was a sacrifice that is that deep, you don't treat it lightly. You don't just say, you know what? Oh, the dog will save me again. No, you see, man, they went through a lot of agony because of what I did. When it comes to Jesus, he gave you his life. He bled on the cross for you and he did it because he loves you. But here's the thing, sometimes we treat it so cheaply, but God has forgiven me. I have, grace is free. And we, and we treat Jesus like that, like a credit card. The fourth way that we treat Jesus is like a Christmas tree. Or Jesus is your religion. Matthew 23, 5 says, Everything they do is for show. On their arms they wear extra wide prayer boxes with scripture verses inside and they, were, way, they wear robes with extra long tassels basically saying it's just a show they want everybody to see what they've done the last thing is that we treat Jesus like a Christmas tree it becomes a show you know I want to I tell you if Jesus is not very practical to you if you don't see Jesus not just on Sundays but, but change your life on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday Friday, Saturday then Probably it's like a Christmas tree. Man, we're just going to show up on Sunday, put on a good face, check the box, and we're done. But Jesus has so much more for you. He's given his life for you. 
And he wants your faith to be practical, where it changes the way that you are as a husband, as a wife, as a mother, as a father, as a co-worker, as a friend. He wants to change your self-image about yourself. He wants to change your work ethic. He wants to change the things about yourself that you know, man, this is destructive. You know, the, uh, I want you to think of a parable of two men. And somebody comes to these two men and says, hey, I want to give you each a big, grand tree. And this tree, what I want it to do is I want it to bless your life. And I want it to bless your family. So you do with it whatever you want. So the one guy, he gets the tree. And it's this big, giant tree. He thinks, man, this would make an amazing Christmas tree. What we're going to do is we're going to bring this tree in. We're going to build it up every single Christmas. We'll leave it, we'll leave it probably in a shed or the backyard for the rest of the year. But when, when December rolls around, we're going to bring this tree in. We're going to build it up. We're going to put ornaments on it. It's going to look amazing. Put lights on it. It's going to be the best Christmas tree around. We'll call people around say, hey, check out this Christmas tree. Come look at that. It looks amazing. People from all around come around and see this Christmas tree. But then there is this other man. And he sees this tree and besides, this is going to take a lot of work. What I'm going to do is I'm going to, I'm going to take this wood. I'm going to have it cut. I'm going to spend time and I'm going to get splinters in my hands. And, 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 and it's going to be difficult. But what I want to do is I want to build a kitchen table. I want to build this table to where it would fit in the center of my house. It's going to be hard. It's going to be difficult. It's not going to be real showy. It's not going to be perfect. I'm going to make mistakes. But if I want this thing to bless my family, I want this thing to be at the center of my house each and every day. So that's what he does. He works and he builds. He builds this big kitchen table, not just big enough for his family, but to be able to have the homeless in, to be able to have the neighbors in and say, hey, you know what? Sit down at my table. And his family throughout their entire lives sat around this table they shared laughter they shared tears they, they, they shared meals difficult conversations happened around this table their, 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 their kids did their homework at this table there were dates between the husband and the wife at this table everything was done around this table I want to ask you which of these two blessed the family more I would for sure say the kitchen table because each and every day they got to sit around it and it blessed their life. Everything they did was around this thing. They didn't put it away and say, you know what, once a year I'm going to bring this thing in. No, every single day. And that is what we need Jesus to be in our lives is the kitchen table. We need at the center of our home saying, Jesus, everything I do is based around you. The hard times, the storms, the great times, we're going to build our family around this thing. I want to encourage you to make that decision today. I want to warn you, it's not going to be easy. When Satan realizes that you have made this decision, he's going to attack you harder. But I promise you, it will be worth it. Do not give up. Keep building that kitchen table each and every day. Say, I'm going to continue building this thing. So here's some action steps, some things for you to take home. One, accept this as a DIY project. You cannot do this alone, but you need to lead by example. You cannot do this all by yourself, but you yourself have to decide, I'm going to do this in my life first. 
I'm going to model this for my family, for my friends, for those around me. First Chronicles 29 is the story of David. They wanted to build this temple to God. And it says, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, this is David speaking, I'm giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. Because then the family leaders, the, the, the leaders of the tribes of Israel, the generals and the captains of the army, then, and the king's administrative officer, then they all gave willingly. They saw the example of David and they said, man, okay, I'm going to follow suit. You yourself have to lead the way. You have to say, I'm doing this in my own life. I'm not just going to point at other people saying, man, they could use this, they could use this. I'm going to look at myself and say, God, it starts with me. I'm leading the way. Let other people follow. I'm leading the way. A second is to break ground. It just means to get started. Get started. Deuteronomy 30, 11 through 12 says, This command I'm giving you today is not too difficult for you, and it is not beyond your reach. It is not kept in heaven so distant that you must ask who will go up to heaven and bring it down so we can hear it and obey. What, what, what he's saying is that you can do this. You can. You can do it. It's not out of your reach. It's not too hard. It's going to be difficult, but you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. If you've given your life to Jesus, you can do it. So I want to ask you, what have you not broke ground with? Some of you have got to go to growth track. I'm going to be there with my wife and, and, and we'll sit around. We'll eat at a table. It's going to be awesome. Okay, go to growth track. Have you not gotten into a small group? Do you need to meet with somebody about that addiction or that thing in your heart you haven't given up? Is there a conversation you need to have? You know what it is, but take the baby steps where you need to make it happen. Break ground. Get started. And the third and last thing is to roll up your sleeves. Know that this is going to take hard work. And the thing about Fixer Upper is that you watch this thing and it looks like it's done in a couple of hours. You know, and, and it just looks so easy. And so there's been a lot of people that think, man, I, that looks easy. I'm going to buy a home. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to build it up like that. It's going to be awesome. I'm going to make a ton of money. They realize it is way harder than it looks on TV. I'm going to tell you, this is going to be way harder than it sounds. It's going to be difficult. There's going to be attacks of Satan. There's going to be times where you have to put away your selfishness and decide, Jesus, I'm going to do what's best for me and my family. I'm following you. You have to roll up your sleeves because it's going to take hard work. Luke 14, 28-30 says, But don't begin until you count the cost. For who would begin construction of a building without first calculating the cost to see if there's enough money to finish it? Saying, think about it. It's going to be hard. It's going to be hard, but it will be worth it. And Matthew 7, 13-14 says, You can enter God's kingdom only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad and its gate is wide for the many who choose that way. But the gateway to life is very narrow and the road is difficult and only a few will ever find it. That word hell, you know, it can relate to our life now. It means destruction. Some of you have got to make the choice. You are going to build your foundation on Jesus. You're going to say, Jesus, you're not just someone I believe in. You're not just a way that I might behave. But I'm going to build my life on you. I'm going to roll up my sleeves. I'm going to do this myself, and I'm going to center my entire life around you. Jesus, I'm going to build my life on you, the only firm foundation.